Peter led us off that last week. We are in a five-part series in the book of Psalm. The reason we made it a five-part series is there are effectively five parts or five sub-books to the 150 chapters that we have broken down, that we've broken down in Psalm. We are in Psalm 42, if you will. You usually see it in most of the church headings, is in book two. You know what? I didn't get the page number. Peter, do you have the page number there? 469. If you're using a Bible that's provided for you, thank you much. It's kind of interesting, you know, the way Zoli brought it up today to give a bit of thanks, and I saw his son going, Dad, don't do that. You know, we do this out of God's care and love. But the group that was up here today, the discussion that we have in chapter 42, you see the heading there, you know, a mascal to the choir master of the sons of Korah, the Korah. Korah was the Levitical priest that had the assignment of the music ministry on the Levitical side. He had the, if you will, the praise and worship leader for the Hebrew church in the temple. What was happening up here? There are those that God has assigned and God has set aside because of talent, gift, passion, calling to lead the church in worship. And to lead the church in worship often, not exclusively, but often includes our voices, and the instruments of praise. And so whether this was written by one of the sons, whether it was written for or to the sons of Korah, we don't know exactly, but it does have this issue, and we will see it even in the lament. What we have today is a lament, a lament of a singer, a a heavy song, a song that is poured out. You know, sometimes we hold our our, our deepest issues, right, real close to the vest, right? The, the whole issue of how you're doing today, great, right, great. Uh, two issues for that. One, we don't like to share, and sometimes we're pretty confident the person asking doesn't want to hear, right? There's, there's two issues there. Um, here, someone is sharing. They're sharing openly. They're taking what we would write in secret as a deepness in our heart, and it is being poured out, and we are reading still about it today. So one of the things I just want to set up for us, I want to encourage us to get into where this passage is going to take us. It's going to take us to a deep place, and not an easy place. It was a struggle. How do, how do we pull this together? Sometimes a psalm can be a struggle, you know, because we hear this and we say, how, Lord, how, what's the word for the church? What's the word for me? And the Lord was working in my heart, and he kind of gave us maybe three headings. There's no nice little easiness to these headings, so you're just going to have to write them down. It's the thirsty The first part we're going to talk about is thirsty. The second part is experiencing exhaustion. And the third part is we'll see where the writer is talking about acknowledging. Acknowledging the exhaustion, if you will, but acknowledging what is behind it and the grace and the hope that still exists. So let's read it together and then we'll unpack it. Psalm chapter 42 In truth, we probably should read 43 together. They typically go together, but we are going to keep it to 42, so your homework is to see how it unpacks further in 43. Verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. 
while they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude is keeping festival. But why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commanded his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. May God bless the reading of his word. If you'll notice, it kind of jumps around. There's not necessarily this easy part. Under these three headings, in order to even help myself, I went into the passage and write in my Bible. I do like to write in my Bible. I'll put like section one on the first two verses. And then all of a sudden here's section two, section two, skip a couple. There's section three, section two. It jumps around. The, the, the writer is in turmoil. And you know when we're in turmoil, sometimes things aren't as clear. We say it. And you'll see him jump back into hope and he jumps back into turmoil and he's jumping all around. The, the thought that had me here, if you read some of the old writers of faith, they'll talk about the divine darkness. Divine darkness of the soul. A time when after we've come to know Christ, after we've accepted him, as, as Zoli called out to all of us here, where it can get dark and it can get heavy. The writer here for us puts it into the, maybe the category, this whole section, by the way, yeah, some of the scholars will put it into what they call an Eloistic section. It is typically in the Psalms we're going to be using the name of God, Yahweh. But in this particular section, in book two, and particularly in this, here, in this section here, we're going to see that God is named Elohim. They're both referring to God, but the Elohim is more the God of, 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 of um, the general God. The God who is true, but over here. Broad, the God Yahweh is when Moses was saying, he might have been recorded before, but Moses said, who shall I tell him sent me? And you, you said, God said to Moses, you tell him that I am sent you. The covenant God of Abraham, and this is my name. The personal redeeming covenant God. And so right here we have this writer lamenting, and he's referring back to the God that feels a little more distant. A God who does not feel so intimate at the moment. Not that I can feel him. I may know him, but he's not right here, right now. And even the name of God that they used moved. 
And so what does he start with? He gives it all away, right? In verse 1 and 2. We don't lead up to it. As a deer pants for flowing streams. So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? First section, we said it's thirsty. It's panting. This is written by somebody who has tasted the water. Who's somebody who's saying, I'm thirsty for God. I'm thirsty for you. I've experienced it. And in this moment, I don't feel like I am experiencing it. That being filled up, the cup that is filled up to overflowing feels empty. I am literally panting, right? We've seen the pictures of a, of a, of a deer maybe panting. Picture it, right? Try to go ahead and picture it, you know, right? All that. Maybe you've seen a dog do that, right? I can actually tell you this week, uh, we made a little mistake, right? We got our dog was outside, you know, Maverick's his name. He might have been outside a little too long uh, in this heat. Uh, and I saw him and he was like, you know, he was, he was all slobbering. This guy, he was thirsty. He heard the crack of the door. One of the kids was coming out and whew, he was inside because there's, you know, there's a couple waters in there. And he went to it. But I, I, after I was reading this more, that picture came to me when you're, separated. He knew where his water was. And many times he's sitting in that air conditioning and his water's there and he's all good. But in that moment, but this is what the writer's saying. You picture that. You picture an animal who knows what it is to get water, who knows when they find a stream, looking for it, can't find it, panting, thirsting, longing for it. This is what the writer is experiencing. Thirst grows in the desert. If you're looking for some takeaway points, I'll try to call them out. Thirst comes in the desert when we're set aside, when we don't have the water readily available. And another thing to think about here, sometimes when we see pain, we assume that it's bad. Thirst is great. It is God's design. It is his alarm bell that our bodies need something. That we are going down a path of dehydration. The thirst is a trigger and a mechanism to go find water. Go find what we need. It's a very good thing. And so God gives us this thirst as an alarm bell as we search for him, as we're looking for him. I'm going to simplify it a bit. Work with me on this. There are two primary reasons why we're going to find ourselves in this heavy thirst. They're always going to be God-ordained. Partially through our choice, which is thirst for discipline's sake. We have a natural thirst, but we have a natural and a heavy tendency to fill that thirst with false things. I think most of us would admit we would like more. We would like more of everything. We'd like more fellowship. We'd like more you know, good times. We'd like more time in life. We'd like more money. We'd like more good food. When, when good evenings are going, we want them to keep going. We just want more. We are thirsty people. We want it. And we'd like a little bit of more. But often, when we have that emptiness, that thirst, when we're really thirsty... My dad always said this, go get a glass of water. When you, I'd always, you know, we'd go get a Coca-Cola or go get this. Now I drink coffee. And I wonder, why am I so thirsty? Like, this is not rocket science. This one will dehydrate you. This one doesn't help. You're 90 degrees outside and you're drinking Mr. Pibb or something. It's not going to help. Your stomach may get full, but you will be thirsty. 
How many of us have seen a movie of somebody on a raft, they got the ocean all around them, they're dying of thirst. Someone goes, you know what, there's all this water. I don't believe it. I'm going to drink some of this water. Like that's salt water. It will not help. You can fill yourself up and you will get which way, church? Thirstier, right? So there is the God who loves us who allows the discipline in our lives. When our choices that we're making to fill ourselves up, to quench the thirst, are the false choices, the false idols, the false places to go, we will experience his loving capacity to put us as a deer that is panting for something, not not understanding why we're so thirsty because we're getting, quote-unquote, the things that we love. And the world, and Satan even lets it go further, they get to an addiction, What's the whole point of the addiction? I need more, 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 and I'm addicted and I can't get out, and I'm still so thirsty. I've never been thirstier. And that is when the God of love disciplines us. And he's still giving us that remnant of the thirst and the reminder to go get the water. Go look for him. And the one that might be more difficult and may be the one that we're experiencing here. So if you're in that one in your life, you'll say amen and thank God and let him lead us back to his waters as we'll see. But if we are in the one that I think is more complicated at times, it is the one here where God is sovereignly, if you will, there, but in the divine darkness. Allowing clouds to come in our lives where he is, the sun is still there. It has never went away. But we don't think we need any of the... uh, uh, protective lotion if we're outside because it's so cloudy but the sun is still there we just don't feel it we just don't see it when God has allowed us in a time and in a space to not feel him so clearly the Old Testament writers said what God was not speaking audibly we don't hear him it's been a time maybe a time of in Egypt We say, it's been 400 years and our God doesn't feel like he's spoken. He feels so far. He has left us. He hasn't left them. But that feeling and that emotion is real. I want to say one other thing that is in Matthew 5, 6. It says it this way. Blessed are they who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he hit this idea of thirst and hunger as a great thing. But hungering and thirsting for what? For righteousness. Because our hunger and our thirst is a big, and it will drive us. It will drive our thoughts. It will drive our actions. And therefore, by God, we need to be thirsting and hungering for righteousness. And then we will be satisfied. Anything else, we are going to be so, so thirsty and so hungry. So there's this idea of thirst. We need to move on. This idea of experiencing it. Look what's happening in like verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone on over me. Verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Verse 11, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? We need to admit, this is hard for us to admit, that when we have faith in Jesus Christ, 
When we have come to a saving knowledge of his grace, when we are experiencing his victory in our life, there will often come times of emotional struggle, of being down, hurting, pain. How do you write it here? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me continually, where is your God? who's crying, he's basically eating and feasting on his tears, the volume of them, the heaviness. Even Jesus himself experienced this in the Garden of Gethsemane, where the weight was on him. His fellowship with God was there, but even on the cross, it got more intense for him. If we want to do some great reading, read the history of great men and women of faith. I submit to you, that you will not find the great stories of faith that have changed many things without seeing a time of the desert in their life. Where God, for the second reason, is growing them, is pruning, is building a stronger faith, and he builds that in the desert. Moses, 40 years in the desert. When he got the people out of Egypt, 40 more. Where God is building a people. And he's pulling them together. We have to acknowledge that we get to these places. And not to be confused when it happens. Say, Lord, I don't feel like this is your discipline. So why are you answering me? Why do I feel empty? Why do I feel alone? God has not left us. He is teaching us. And he's growing us. And he's hitting this individual here, the circumstances may be so hard. The circumstances may be pushing us. Yeah, he's saying here, what was the, uh, verse 7, deep calls the deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He's hitting all these ideas. What do we see in verse 4? How would I go with a throng? The things that I remember, how I would go with a throng and lead them in a procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. So he's given us a little sense of his circumstances. Hey, I used to be able to go with the church. I used to be able to lead praise and worship. You remember the time where I used to come up and I used to lead and everybody was singing and everybody was dancing? And by the way, I don't think we're as good as the Hebrews in this. I mean, they really have something. They know how to do it a little better. We can learn a little bit of how they practice festival, right? We can learn a little bit. They practiced festival. They practiced that God was there. We sometimes think that when they went to the temple, it was always just, you know, we've got to do our ordinances. We've got to do this. We've got to execute this. They came, as is teaching us here, with joy in festival, with shouts of praise to their God, to their Redeemer God. And now, for some reason, the writer is not able to go. Is he sick? Does he have cancer, if you will? Is he being separated from a distance? Are they in exile? Are they writing from exile? So now that the people of God are now in exile and there's no temple, there's no way to go. Whatever the circumstances are, they can't, he can't celebrate. He can't go there. And further, he's talking about the waves breaking over and over and over. You ever had that experience where you just hit one thing off and hit another and then a third and a fourth? You're like, when I'm at wave number 19 here, I'm about done. That's what he's writing on. It's not ending. Just a little, you know, it's a little story here. I remember being, yeah, the waves here. We're in California. I was in the waves, and this was hit me this week, the idea of this. I remember I had one time when I got really, really scared. I was out in the waves, probably deeper than I should be out in the California Pacific Coast, big waves where the surfers go. I got myself in a little bit of trouble, and bam, and bam, and bam. And I was a pretty good swimmer, but I was about done, worn out. 
And I was getting to the point where I really couldn't breathe and I was getting tussled, hit my head on the ground, right? The whole bit, right? You're all messed up and you're underneath this and your undertow's going. Finally was able to get my feet straight, hit the ground, came up for air. And I was literally about out for air. Came, came up for air and a big wave, another huge one was right there and I swallowed water now. And I literally, you'd think you'd be panicking, but my first thought was anger. Like, really? You know, like, you know, swallow now, right now. I literally can't breathe, but I'm swallowing water. So I was angry, and then the anger turned into panic in about a millisecond. And you're, now you're panicking. I physically know I cannot handle more. I can't believe I'm going to die. I can't believe that this is going to overwhelm me. It is over, and I'm like 50 feet from the coast. I had a thought, I remember it to this day. God loves you. And just, that was it. I had that thought, but it just coincidentally, maybe a second or two later, I was able to come up for air, sputtering and stammering and all that. But I think that's what this writer's talking about here. When the waves are breaking and breaking and over and over and you come up for air, and right when you're finally gonna come up for air, you swallow a bunch more water and you're like, I give up, I'm done. Now I'm done. God rest me, soul to sleep, you know, I'm going to heaven. Do you ever get to that point? You don't have to nod if you're still one of those that want to keep your feelings private. But if you're more like Jerry and I, you can, you can raise your hand and say, you ever get to that point where you're about five waves past where you could have handled? And by the grace of God, you're still there? Maybe you got a little anger. Because yeah, that's a little bit, right? It's an honest deception to the Lord. Like, I am now admitting, so this guy's writing it. Sometimes we have these thoughts, but we don't know how to admit it. Right? We're not good with our feelings. The writer here is like, no, I, I'm admitting it. I'm exhausted. I remember when I used to be able to go to church and I used to be able to worship. Now I'm by myself. I'm getting pounded by waves. And I got these enemies over here going, yeah, yeah really? You're God? Where's your big God now? When you're drowning and all that, you, know, it's, you don't have somebody sitting on a life raft going, oh, yeah, you, know, you can swim? Yeah, yeah, how you doing now? That's not very helpful. You're like, yeah, I, feel like a, I feel like a fool. I feel lost. And even though you know that their comments aren't true, Satan's right in there, right? He's in there. He's like, where is your God right now? Maybe you never knew God. Why are you getting all these waves? Look at some of those people over there. Maybe your God doesn't love you that much. Maybe your God is busy. Maybe you're not that important. Those thoughts come. And our second point was here, we're experiencing this. We acknowledge it. That it is deep. It is exhausting. We feel alone. I just want to highlight just for you again. I do think that the story of the Egyptians is so critical. Yeah, that how the Israelites came out. They were in this place. They were in Egypt. They would, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Where is our God? Finally, after Moses comes and has to all the plagues and all of this. They're finally going to be taken out. They're going to be, be able to get away. They're going to get away from the Egyptians. Yay, praise God. All right, here's a cloud and a pillar of fire. We get to the Red Sea. Oh, no, Red Sea crosses. Oh, look at this miracle. We go past. And now what? Desert. Really? Remember what they said? Really, Moses? We'd have been better off back there. When we finally get to a place where we might have a spiritual awakening, finally we might say, Lord, I'm yours. I want to follow you. Lord, take me out of bondage. Thank you. Take me out of my bondage. Take me out of Egypt. I tell you honestly, I feel like at times in the United States now we are getting closer and closer to that life in Egypt. 
where we are getting so close and we're liking the leeks and the onions and the food and the fish and everything and we're so acquainted with it. We've lived it for so long. We're very comfortable with it. And then we say, all right, Lord, I hear you. I've got you. You've got my attention. You've given me eyes to see and my feet can now walk. And you've given me a vision of you and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you. And the first thing we do and we're thinking it's going to be good is we're walking down into the desert. What happened to the green pastures and, you know, kind of, you know, skipping along and, you know, it's all going to be good now? Into the desert. That's where we go. God is getting us thirsty. The third point, if you might recall, I'd said that we're going to talk about is, yeah, we're going to experience it, but we need to acknowledge it. We need to pause and we need to acknowledge two parts of this acknowledgement. We need to acknowledge the deep suffering and the darkness as the writer was here. And then we need to acknowledge God's steadfast love and hope as we will see that the writer has also done. Admit our feelings and circumstances. And he does this well. It's almost like a little schizophrenia, which is some of the amazing, you know, it's God-given schizophrenia. It is where we're hearing this thing, 5A, why are you cast down, oh, my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He's asking, if you will, a rhetorical question, and the other side of his brain comes out, and he says in 5B, and same, this is the exact same refrain in 11, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see how that worked out? He's acknowledging, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil? I admit it. I acknowledge the turmoil and the heaviness, and my soul is in despair, and it is cast down. And then right away, the answer that he brings, he may not feel it. May not feel it. But he answers himself, hope in God. It's like, hope in God. For I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. Acknowledge the pain. Acknowledge the distance. Acknowledge the turmoil. But acknowledge at the same time our salvation, our God, our hope, and his steadfast love. And he gives us some tools. If we're going to pay attention here as we read through it, he gives us four tools to deal with this. First one, the church and communal worship. That's what we're getting at here. These things I remember, verse 4. I'm going to read it again. I've read it like three times. It'll pour into our hearts. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng. What's the throng? The throng is the church. The throng is any two or three that are gathered in Christ's name to praise him. How I gathered with the throng. This is a pre-incarnate time. And led them in procession to the house of God, to the tabernacle or to the temple, with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. The church has a major, major place. And when we come together, the miracles can happen. They happen individually to be sure. But God has ordained from Old Testament times to New Testament times that his church is to gather, is to gather around his glory, is to gather in his presence. And the writer is saying here, even the memory of that, for the physicality of that was what it was encouraging and wonderful, but even the memory of it is powerful. The example, sometimes we need a visual, right? Sometimes we need a visual. I was thinking back to gym class. 
You remember how, I'm, I think most of us might have done this at times. I, I don't know if they do it now because nowadays they got lawsuit issues more and more and things don't happen as much. But remember when we had like the big parachute and we had like 30 of us around and, you know, we were, you're, everybody's doing this, you know, in unison and up and down. And there's a couple boys that were always opposite, you know, trying to be ornery. You know, but most of us, 28 out of the 30, were in sync and helping. And there's somebody in the middle. And what does this person in the middle get, right? They get to giggle and laugh because they're getting thrown up and down and experiencing all this cool stuff. You know, I was thinking about that, I go, how it applies here, is if you had to come and say this person, let's say the person in the middle needs, I'm stretching the uh, example here, right? Yeah, stretching it. Let's say they needed to laugh. They just needed a little joy. The first one to go is the one that was most down. Get in the middle. Within a minute, we'll have you laughing and experiencing it. Well, how do you do that? If you say, if you had just the two of us, and we said, hey, get on, let's do this, let's make you laugh. You're like, yeah, this is not working. I'm standing on your parachute, and it's going to rip. Well, let's get two of us, three, I doubt it. It's in the 20s and in the 30s and in the 60s and in the 90s when you get the people together and the strength is communal, coordinated in sync, that the one can get the amazing blessing. And we take turns, don't we? So we get off when we've experienced our joy, when we've been made to laugh, when the medicine has now come into our bones and we help the next. And if there's time in gym class, we take turns and everyone gets their time. The church is a bit like a teeter-totter, and God designed it this way. When somebody is down, there's others that are up. And they're there for that time to help and to assist. I'm trying to take a little bit of my own medicine here and share with you. So this is not always as easy, right? But I'll share with you. There was a time this this happened in my life. It was roughly five or six years ago. I can't place the exact week. It was a very um, heavy time in my life. Uh, spiritually, emotionally, physically, at every level. The waves came and came and came, and I was drowning in the waves, and it was, it was all I could do to stand on certain days. We were in a, a series of church, and I had most of the series. So I had a four or five part in a row, and it was somewhere towards the end. It's, it's relevant for the story. I'll tell you why. It was, I think it was either the last, I think it was the last um, one on that topic. And all week, I literally went to my end. By the time I was just able to survive at work, answer client questions, interact with people, come home and put on a, you know, a, as best I could for the children and your wife, I... Uh, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you, the minute I was alone, I mean the minute, the minute a door would shut, the minute my office door was shut and a phone rang, the minute, the entire week, I would just break and weep. Just weep. Every moment of every day that I was alone. Just couldn't get past it. It was got to be like Thursday or Friday. I'm thinking, you know, this will pass and you'll be able to find your energy. And it was got to be Saturday and hadn't uh, been there. And I said, you know, I should probably call Peter and have him prepare for Sunday. And I thought it was unfair because we had done the whole series and I already had a lot of it in my mind. And no, 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 that's weakness and get through this. And I had done my due diligence. I had prepped as much as I could and I did some work that it wasn't there. And I couldn't, I, how am I going to get up? I'm, just, I'm not even going to be able to say a word. And Sunday morning, I'm like, you really, really should call Peter because it's not happening. That was the, when I was alone, just weeping. I got to church. And I had this little bit of faith, right? That little bit of kernel faith. You know, God's going to do something. You're not going to leave me like this because he's going to do something. 
And we got to church, and it's like, let's say church started at 10, 9.59, it's not good. You know, I'm greeting people, and it's all I could do. I even went to the restroom once just to, just to have a moment. And then about 10.05, you know, the Cora and his team you know, right, got up, and the music started. And with the first verse and the first melody and the words that were true, and there was 30, 60 people in community singing words of truth in melody, in unison. It was as if my heart went like this and with the second verse like this and with the third verse and then with the next song and with the next song. And by God's grace, I was the one in the middle and everybody was doing this. There was a brother who just put his hand on me. He was just doing nothing. He was just praising it. But that hand felt like the hand of God just pulling strength in. I was in the middle. By the time we were done with the singing, God's church had lifted me up to such a degree by his grace that I felt I could take my turn in line and I could go and speak a word. Friends, the church, we, we are it. This is us. We are here for each other. At times, some of us are just thirsty. And when somebody admits that to you, remember, it needs to be admitted, but it also needs to be a, a hearing ear. Don't go, oh, really? What's going on? Uh, that doesn't sound right. How's your devotions? <laughs> this side of the room like that a lot better than this side. Have an ear. It's not always discipline. It's a thirsty land. We're wandering out of Egypt and we're going through the desert before we get to the promised land. Be one of the ones that's lifting up the parachute. Encourage, uplift. We're in this together because I'm going to have my turn on the downside of the teeter-totter and I'm going to be on the upside. If we can help each other, Satan does not have his victory. And to the shame of the church, when people come for that kind of help to churches, often they feel more down than when they started. They feel that they need to go other places whether it's depression, whether it's pain unspeakable, whether it is just, I can't describe it, loneliness, God understands. And saints of God should understand. They should be encouraging and lifting up and bringing us home. That was the first one. It was a church. We're going to go faster on these other ones. What are the other tools? Remember, look at verse 6. Right? He said, my soul is cast down, and for I shall again praise my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, because my soul is cast down within me, therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, of Hermon, and from Mount Mizar. The scholars are like some of these, you know, the mount, we don't even really know where they're at. So what he's saying is he is separated from where he would want to be. He is separated from the temple. He's in a dark place. I don't care where you want to be, whether, wherever that is for you. It is, what does he do then? He remembers God. My location and my circumstances may not be so conducive, but the tool that I use is the tool of God. I go to my memory. I remember two things predominantly. I remember how it was when we praised you. I remember that you were there. I remember your words. I remember some of your covenant psalms. What did David do? They were, what did Jesus do in the New Testament? They're, they're repeating the words of the psalms back. They're re, re, repeating the truths. So friends, the second tool 
is our memory. Remember what God has done for others that you have seen, what you've seen God do. Remember what God has done for you and for me. When we're down and we're just remembering the circumstances, Satan will have his victory. When we are down and we remember the God who has always been there, who has never let our foot slip to the ultimate way, is when we will have our victory. And it's what this one did here. The psalmist, the psalter said, I remember you, Lord, no matter where I am at. This remembrance turns into something, and this often happens. The more we start meditating and remembering, tool number three, self-talk, truths and promises. You know, and I use some of our modern vernacular because we get confused. You know, you hear, you've heard this sometimes. I've heard this in a number of conferences I've been at. We need to perform some self-talk. We need to speak truths into ourselves. The reason I like some of these things, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what the Bible says. That's why you can have a really good idea because it is a biblical idea. God wants us to speak truths to ourselves. Because what do you think was happening in verse 5? When you see that, I called it a little schizophrenia. I said it this way. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? And then all of a sudden, it stops. It's like it just stopped. Speak something true. I'm admitting my issue, but speak the truth. Hope in God for something I know. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And he does it in verse 11. Why do you think it's repeated? Verse 5 and verse 11 are repeated word for word. There's only 11 verses. And we're, quote, wasting two of them by repeating the exact same word. Couldn't we have gotten something new in there? Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And how do we finish? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. When we are hungry and thirsty, we need to speak truths into ourselves because the devil is speaking lies to us. Everybody is speaking lies to us. I would like to read a few truths to us. One, which I love, my dear brothers, they had the same one that I had in my mind. John 6. We had 35. I'm going to read just a few extra verses. John 6, 35 is what we had on the screen earlier, but we're going to go through verse 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Does that sound like a truth statement? Does that sound like a promise of Jesus? If you come to me, you will not ultimately thirst. You will not ultimately be hungry. In this life, I may let you experience it for a moment, but you will not be. But I said to you that you, that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe Here's Jesus speaking. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. If I fit all the believers in all my life and all this, no matter how you feel, no matter how hurt, how persecuted, how alone you feel, you are in my palm of my hand, and I will raise you up on the last day. And the church said, Amen. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Turn with me to John four thirteen and 14. The woman of Samaria, we know this passage well. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, the well of water, normal water, will be thirsty. 
and will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. A well of water springing up into eternal life. Those of us that were here for the 9 o'clock hour, and I don't make it all the time, so don't, don't think I'm talking you know, down to anybody here. It was there this morning. The individual that was speaking throughout, I don't know, what do you say, those that were there, 30 verses off the top of his head by memory. It is very, very helpful when we're down to be able to quote a few promises true. John 6, 35 through 40. If you don't remember it exactly, it's okay. A little paraphrase of it. God will keep me forever. I have come to do the will of him who sent me. And this is his will, that everyone he's given me, I will keep. I will never cast out, and I will raise them up on the last day. When we feel alone, when we feel a little hurting, speak the truths that Jesus taught us. If we're not sure, get a Bible out and start reading, and the truths will come out. It's called self-talk. It is repeating truths to counteract the lies. We are very good at coming up with lies for ourselves. And God is so good at speaking the truths back to us. So speak the truth. It's important. We might feel forgotten. Our friends may have forgotten us. We may feel alone. We may feel like the circumstances are against us. But the truth is that God loves you with an everlasting love. And he will keep you unto the day of redemption. Might let you grow a little bit. Might let you sink a little bit with some extra sun, if you will. A little, little hot heat. But he will never let us go. Never let us go. So four. And this is getting into a little bit where we're going to go next week. Next week is hope. But the fourth tool was hope. Hope is one of the most common words in the New Testament. It would make sense, right? After everything we just talked about, if this kind of a feeling, if this kind of a psalmist, the Psalter could come into life where we're at today, would it make sense that we would experience the same kind of struggle in this life? All the good that we want to do, all the sin that we want to be, all the joy that we want to experience sometimes gets empty and lost and confused. So the New Testament, one of the biggest words, there's, there's several others. Love is a big one. But go through a concordance and see how many times hope is mentioned. Go ahead. I dare you. Go ahead and do it. It's a lot. It's one of the greatest words in the New Testament. We can conclude with a couple thoughts. Romans 5. Romans chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Sixth book in the Second Testament. Chapter 5. Follow along with me as Paul takes this idea of some of the suffering, translating it into hope, how this works. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It all starts with Jesus Christ. It all ends with Jesus Christ. He is the beginning and the end. In him we have our salvation. In him we have our redemption. When we call Yahweh, we are also calling Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice. Which way? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. This is it. This is the pain part. This is the empty part. This is the part when we can feel alone. Our circumstance. We rejoice in our sufferings because we knowing that suffering produces endurance. Because God's not going to leave us. It will by definition produce endurance. Because we are going to get through it. And when we get through it, it means we're going to endure. And as we endure, suffering turns into endurance. And endurance turns into something. And endurance produces character. Don't we all want to have character? Character in Jesus Christ? His character in us? Suffering, endurance, character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We will not be ashamed. And we will not shame him if we maintain the hope. And hope doesn't come easily. Hope is the end of suffering and endurance and character. There's a final thought for us. Hebrews 6. Keep going right in your Bibles towards the end. Hebrews 6. Verses 18 and 19. The writer to the Hebrew church He's writing it this way, that so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled, those who have been persecuted, if you will, for refuge, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. I need to unpack this just for a second. The curtain is the temple. It's got the veil. In the Old Testament, when the writer of Korah is saying that they're worshiping, they're going in, behind the veil was where the glory of God was, if you will, the Shekinah of God, the presence of God. God was revealing himself all throughout history. And in the First Testament, he's revealing himself in bits and pieces. And in a truest sense, he could be everywhere. But for the church, he held himself, if you will, in a place, behind the temple, in the veil, in the holiest of holies, and you came and worshiped around. And here it is saying, in this life now, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, it's changed, it's bigger, it's broader. God is illuminated to the point where when we suffer today, we have an anchor. That, that hope is our anchor, and it is an anchor is that the veil was taken away. And that the very presence of God, his very presence now is available to each and every one of us. And that God now resides, not in a temple made with hands, but in the heart of every believer. And he takes our heart, our broken heart, and he resides in us, and he will hold it. And our hope, our hope in him, that he is there today, and that he is coming again to take us home forever, where there will be no tears, no sadness forever. That is our anchor. That hope. And that confidence. And that trust in Jesus. We know and we can believe that Jesus came. The preponderance of it. The prophecies. The people who saw him. The life that has changed. Your life, my life, has been changed by the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If yours hasn't, that's your hope. And when we have it, that is what we rest on. 
friends, there's a commercial, and we're going to use this commercial to our benefit because now we will think of it better. You know, the commercial that says, stay thirsty, my friends. You're going to stay thirsty. God may have us thirsty for discipline. He may have us thirsty for his growth and his pruning. But take joy in it because it is our God, and he will quench that thirst and he will give us the living water forever in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we admit that we are afraid to pray to keep us thirsty. Lord, we're afraid of what times the circumstances will bring. Lord, help us if we are filling ourselves with false things that momentarily feel like they're quenching it. But Lord, when our belly is full, and our hearts are empty, we're still so thirsty. Lord, help us to trust you and to persevere when you are taking us out into the desert to make us stronger, to perfect us for your work, for your kingdom, and for your glory. Lord, let us praise you in the difficult times. Let us lift up, Lord, each other. Let us be quicker to lend a hand to one who is in a deep and dark way. For, Lord, we believe that you have a divine separation at times designed for our good. It is not eternal. It is temporary. It is not that you are not there. But, Lord, you are a little more distant from us in your words. Lord, help us in those times. Make our faith strong and secure that we may be soldiers for you, that we can rest in you and wait for your coming again. In your name we pray. Amen.